This is Agents Influence Podcast. One horrible trend I see right now in the insurtech world is we have a lot of people graduate Harvard, graduate MIT, smart people, but they don't know the insurance world. They don't know our world. They don't know. They they keep on ch- chasing that tiny tech, shiny object. What tech do you have? What your own proprietary performance model do you have? But、uh, they don't understand to build that tech. You absolutely have to burn money. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. All right, all right, all right, you loyal listeners out there! Welcome to Agents Influence Podcast Conversations with Jason Cass, and today we have another one with our boy Jeff Shee. Now, as you guys know, because you've probably been hearing the hype, the the hoopla, and I don't know when in the week this is playing, but I know this week is the is the week of InsureTech. Okay, and you've probably been listening to it. All the network hosts have all of their podcasts going. InsureTech is a major, major factor, and maybe we've talked about it already this week. But you're getting one podcast from every day from me and Jeff Shee as we interview some of these other InsureTech CEOs, COOs, other people who are involved in the InsureTech market. Um, who are going to be really rattling your brain and showing you how powerful this is? And also, what we want to talk about this week, and we're probably going to talk about it today, happens to be how the shift in insuretech, right? The 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 thought of who what insuretech is versus what insuretech is now. I'll give you a secret: they always need the IA in the long run, no matter who they are. And so, I appreciate you once again joining us here on Insuretech Week, AI Insuretech Week. And、uh, Mr. Jeff Shee, thank you for doing this as well. We're having some fun doing all these podcasts, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Jeff even told us loyal listeners that he actually has something that he's going to surprise me on because I said, "Hey, is there anything specific you want to talk about?" And he's like, "Well, I'll I'll surprise you." And so I was like, "Oh." And so all the loyal listeners, you're thinking the same thing, like, "What in the hell is this going to be?" But in the meantime, Jeff, how's life been for you? Just so you loyal listeners know, it is December third at nine oh seven in the morning. You're hearing this all the way in two thousand twenty-two. I hope your goals are in line and you're rocking. But Jeff, up until now, getting ready for Christmas and stuff, how's life been with you? I think it's been I don't know a whole four days since we've talked. I just I just made a LinkedIn post two minutes ago, so. If you are on LinkedIn, go follow me, Jeff Shi, on LinkedIn, and go follow Jason Cass on LinkedIn. That's right.、Um, yeah, that's right. Also, you can find Agency Intelligence. Yeah, and then if you're on YouTube and you're watching this, make sure you give us an algorithm push and、uh, right. hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, and my next、hit、subject is I want you guys to comment on what I'm about to drop next. So、Mm-mm-mm. you know, post COVID world since the COVID started in 2019. Twenty 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 has changed us, changed our life in so many aspects, right? So a lot more people starting to work from home, but those people who work from home, they realize that hey, I am not tied to my office, I am not tied to that traffic commute, right? But at the same time, 
we are now inside this wall, this four walls all day long. Sometimes we get to look out the window, which is a plus. But at the end of the day, we crave traveling a lot more. You know, people say travel industry has that. I was like, no, I think travel industry has just gone up, blown up even more. But what's changed is people don't want to go to huge gatherings, but people want to go to the amazing views, the Montana, the Colorados, right? Um, people want to move to beautiful areas um, to work from home. People want to do workcations, right? So let's just say you and three or four of your employees or coworkers. I see future trend as people go to those Airbnb, short-term rentals, VRBOs, and they go there for a week and they work together in a house and do the creative thinking and then they go back to wherever they live. So that being the future trend that I see, and um, let's just tell you what happened to me this week. I come on. Since my kids, I had this amazing nanny. She's absolutely amazing. Justin Egger, go follow him. Quantum CEO. He told me, Jeff, you got to get a nanny when you have kids because toddlers are gonna be so rough on your life. I made the investment, and she's worth every penny. She gives my wife the time that we need to focus on our own career, and she gives us time to breathe when our babies are tired just screaming in our ears, right? Right. So what most people don't understand is this week she have her PTO and I've been left trying to run two startups and, you know, <sighs> juggling two babies, just switching turns with my wife. You know, she's downstairs holding down the Ford. Shout out to Priscilla. You're awesome. While she I is. am here doing this podcast with Jason Cass. Boom. And, um, you know, we talk about having a second home, you know, second home, you know, we talk about a couple places and this is what I'm going to be talking about, Jason Katz and all the agency intelligence audience. Boom. Where, Big one. Wherever you live. So I love to hear from you guys. Where should I East go? East coast, West coast. Yep. We want to hear from you. I'm in Virginia. Our tax system is not hateful. You know, we're kind of in the central between the high states like Massachusetts, California, and then the low states like Texas, Florida. If we go for a second home to work from and also to enjoy for personal reasons, career reasons, tax reasons, you know, tax. we're looking at like a couple places, right? So here's a couple things on my list. There is South Carolina, the Charleston area, beautiful beach. Mm-hmm. There is, well, Hilton Head Island area as well. There's a St. Pete of Florida. There's Boca of Florida, two complete different area of Florida. And um, I also really love Austin. You know, I love the outdoor, the indoor, the city, the suburbia, yeah. the food scene, the hills, the mountains, just all of the things about Austin. So what's on your list, Jason? If you were to say, hey, you know what? I'm either going to have a secondary home, primary residence, or if you're going to move full-time out of Illinois, what would that be? Okay. Well, loyal listeners, uh, the loyal listeners, uh, not everybody listening, but the loyal listeners truly already know this. Uh, it will be where I'm probably going to go for this summer, anywhere between Clearwater, um, Florida and St. Pete Beach. It's kind of like on a bow. The key is on a bow out there. And so like I'm going to Moderna Beach and Indian Rocks Beach right after Christmas to look at some places. I obviously can't buy because the, the market is so ridiculous, but I'll keep my house in Centralia. And that's that's where I'm going to go. If I had a second place that I would want to go, it would be Pensacola. I like the beach. 
I like flip-flops. I like shorts. I like margaritas. I like uh, um, the heat. I like boats. And most importantly, of all those things, I like less taxes. And so that's why I would be going to Florida of any place. I'll live in Naples. I'll live in Miami. I really don't care. It just has to be on the Gulf Coast. Now, here's the question, though. You know, the Fed's got to raise the rate some point because we're seeing inflation through the roof. And the current mortgage rate is still really, really low, right? They say mm-hmm. if you compare 30-year mortgage payments on a $450,000 house at 2.9% interest rate versus a $300,000, I'm, I'm sorry, $400,000 house, difference of $50,000 at 3.1% interest rate, you actually have a cheaper payment on that $450,000 purchase at 2.9% interest. If you're a mortgage loan officer, I'll do check my math, but that's what I have seen in a couple posts. So sometimes not about purchase price, it's about cash flow and what you are getting in at your overall cost per your cash flow. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, even the price come down a little bit, but if the rates go up significantly, then you're not getting a win, if that makes sense. And I just think, if you look at the past 30 years, how many times have our mom, our dad, our grandparents talk about, oh, I waited to invest in real estate. I waited for the price to come down. But if you look at the last 30 years, prices continue going up because our dollar just doesn't go up in value. It goes down in buying power. So mm-hmm. I understand your theory. You're waiting for the market to slow down a little bit. But I don't think market will slow down as much as our dollar continue to drop, if that makes sense. You know what? Here's what I'm sick and tired of. I'm tired of you crypto people always talking about the damn currency. If my son was on here, he'll tell you he's talking the same thing. He's always Shout watching these damn YouTube. Yeah, he's Gavin's always watching these YouTube videos about currency. And he told me yesterday Turkey just went to the Bitcoin as currency and all this shit. And I just told him I said, I, I think I, I think it's the uh, a huge for some reason it's a huge justification. And I think crypto is going to be huge, but I don't think it's going to be in the currency realm for a long, 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 long time because the current it's too complicated to go that route. I think it could be used as a payment system, but as like full onboard currency and us getting loans and shit and using Bitcoins through houses. And yeah, that shit's probably going on now, but man, that ain't getting to Main Street America for years. Am I wrong, she? You know, some people took that same stand when they saw you had to buy a computer and then you have to spend a lot of money with AOL. You had to wait for Dawa modem. You had to pay one company, not 20, 30 choices, one company to get on internet. They had the absolute power to control the grid. Mm-hmm. Some people said, I don't need it. You know, it's not going to take over my life. I am fine using it, everything I have in front of me for the past 30 years. If I went on the last 30 years without computer, I don't need computer. I definitely don't need internet. That same mm-hmm. went on for, I think, at least five years. People resisted and fought it. but Oh, still are. Yeah. 
So very small majority. The difference is, though, is currency is governed by the government, and that's different than it being commercial enterprise when it comes. But I do like your analogy. I do like your analogy. So government here to serve we the people. And if government has failed us and have made our currency win by 30 40% in losing buying power, we the people now have a button they can press. And I can see how the government is doing all the things to regulate. Regulation is amazing for the crypto world because it gives government access to tax us. So anytime government have access to tax us more money, it become a drug to the government. So no, they're going to take the whole thing over. If it goes to currency, they're going to basically take it over and it'll be regulated through the Federal Reserve. And there will be just like no one can no one can regulate banking. Only banks can only. I just I just think that I, I know it's the future. And that's why I always get on and I and people laugh at me because they're like, Cass, you're such a hater. I'm not a hater. I'm just joking. I mean, I'm not invested in it. I think it is the future. I listen to my son enough. She I listen to you enough. I just think that it's just like, I don't know. And I get really mad when a billionaire makes a tweet and it affects everybody else's paycheck. To me, it just shows that like everybody, this is how billionaires make money is they prey on people like us who have disposable income, but you know, probably shouldn't be doing certain things that they are, but that's just me. I'm just cash, but, but let's talk about money. Let's talk about that. She, okay. Cause what I want to talk about real quick has to do with I don't know where I saw it, but I know I saw it. Loyal listeners, fact checkers, please help me out out here. At two years ago, three years ago, I heard that up to that point in time, 2019, whenever it was, that $4 billion had been raised in capital for insure tech carriers. I don't know when that was. And then I heard that they did like, I think this was 2020, they did like $4 billion in half a year or one year, whatever it was. I can't remember 6.2, exactly. 6.2, first half of 2021. 6.2, first half of 2021. Now, is that not ridiculous? But the new also numbers out say that $4.2 billion was raised in the third quarter alone of 2021. We're, these numbers are escalating and getting crazy. You want to talk why, why, there's, why there's a dilution of the dollar? Too many people have dollars, in my opinion. Actually, too many people ha- all have all the dollars, in my opinion. I mean, what's going on out there, She Holy so, shit. I mean, if you look at, I don't know, company like nationwide, right? They have $19 billion PNC premiums, $10 billion around the financial sectors, but their asset is $276 billion, right? They can go on a year with 5% combined loss rate, and then they can go on the next year with 2% combined profit rate. But at the end of the day, they build up their business model on float. And float is investment, either investing in banking, investing in real estate, investing in reassurance, or investing in venture capitalists. And nationwide have a benchmark of venture capitalists that a lot of people outside the industry and in the industry look up to. There's some sharp people at Nationwide Ventures and um, they are active. I think they just closed down a fund from last year and this year they have a new fund they just opened for another 500 million or 350 million 
Um, Mass Mutual is extremely active. American Family. American Family, as you want to say, that's someone you told me about. Yeah, American Family, very active, smart people over there. Um, So hear me out. Reassurance is extremely competitive. It's not like people worry about reassurance, the, the, the hurricanes, the wildfires, the hailstorms. But they make money. They price all that in, right? But there's so much reassurance money right now, and they are so competitive, and they try to figure out how to really make money from it. And they look at this thing called VC, right? Yeah. And look at the people who invested in Rivian. Rivian, the EV electric automaker. They're like 100 billion plus in market cap. And they haven't delivered more than 100 cars yet. It's unbelievable. Right. I, I watched a write up on this. It's there's unbelievable. EV, VC market cap. There's food tech. I think food tech is all of it. Like, and, the dude, who, and the dude who leads that company is like 63, 64 years old, and they're scared that he might die or something. And he holds all the keys to the castle, yeah. and you've got investors. Yeah, that's crazy stuff. Sorry, go on. I, and then, I was reading about that. And then, you know, because. Every industry is being disrupted. People say, oh, you know, all this VC money is crazy. I, I, I back not. I back is not even close to crazy. We haven't seen crazy yet because we're at the point you can see almost every single industry can be disrupted and will be disrupted. Look at banking. Look at Coinbase. Coinbase overnight, 49, 75, whatever billion dollars. They would start on $350,000 C money from Gary Tang to Brian Armstrong in 2013. Look at all the exchange, Voyagers, Uphold. I mean, look at what they're worth. Look at what they're holding. And if it was so easy to go up against it, why didn't Bank of America or JP Morgan do it? Why didn't Chase do it? Why didn't you know Wells Fargo do it, right? So when we talk about the smartest guy in the room are usually bankers. If they cannot stop and prevent and fight against the dis- disruption. You really think the insurance company can stop that? You really think like the automotive industry can stop that? JM, GM, Ford, Chrysler, all the money in the world. They can't stop Rivian. They can't stop Tesla. Right. So I just think right now, you know, innovation, innovation's here to stay, disruption's here to stay. And, you know, people laugh at these disruptors. In short tech disruptors, man, we haven't seen nothing yet. And then, like, I read some story that was so crazy this week. I'm not sure if I sent it to you. I usually text you whatever I see the crazy stuff. But there's a company called Tiger Global v- uh, Tiger Global Management. They're a venture capitalist. They're a global company. Um, they invested $6.7 billion into startups and founders and tech companies in one quarter, think about it, that's 90 days, $6.7 billion divided by 90 days. And they said most of that money went out right away and they're raising another round. Like I saw another one, Coinbase Ventures, they invested into 49 companies in 90 days. I mean, web. the people are rushing, leaving Web 2 to Web 3s right now. Web 2s to Web 3s. What does that mean, Jeff? So Web 1 is like the beginning of internet when you're connecting people together. You know, everybody go online. And Web 2 is a social world, right? Now we are not just talking to each other, communicating. 
via emails, via chatbots through internet, we are brand identified between each other's chat. So when Jason Cass is making a statement on LinkedIn and Jeff Xu making a statement on Facebook and we're responding from other people, there's a social aspect of connecting all of us together, right, on the internet. So that's Web 2. And Web 3 is now we have cryptos, we have DeFi's, we have blockchains, we have um, NFTs. NFTs is like, you know, a whole new subject we can get into later. But these are the things that make Web3, which we're connecting in the metaverse. We're connecting with each other via payment structures, via a new type of connections are no longer just social connections. It's a social connection to the 100x. And Web3 is what Twitter, Jack Dorsey, he just left Twitter and Square to focus on Web3. And he said, Bitcoin and Web3 is the most important thing he will ever do in his lifetime. And he wow. have achieved the Twitter and the Square. And he said, this is the most important thing he's going to ever do in his lifetime. And there's a guy named Alex Ohani, 776 Venture, uh, founder of Reddit, Reddit Forums. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Diamond Hands and Ape Nation. But he's focusing all his energy right now on Web3. You know, he's backing Solana, the crypto. Solana Labs, the venture arms of the crypto. And um, it's a matter of time before our insurance world, insure tech world, completely collide with the, the blockchain world because blockchain is a technology that's going to be here to stay. And crypto world is a $10 trillion in the next three to four years, and $100 trillion in the next 10 years. So insurance is only $800 billion. We're a big world, but is not as big in the trillions versus the billions. Yeah, I guess so. That shit's just crazy to me. I mean, you invest in a company, the company does better, it pays dividends, You the stock goes up, you cash in, you actually get money because the carrier was getting money. This crypto shit is just, it's like, I don't know, just, just unbelievable. I, I really just think it's a big game of Peter robbing Paul to pay Peter and Peter's trying to figure out if Paul owes him and Paul really doesn't know, but he's just stealing shit from him so that he can pay Peter. And they don't Are realize the social brothers. security system by the United treasury. Correct. You, the, the, and, that, and that's a very good statement. No, no, no. It's a very good statement. It really yeah. truly is. I, I just think that we, the government taught everybody how to scam. <laughs> and so now everybody just does their own. All right. Crypto people don't send me any emails. I'm just joking. <laughs> my God. And I'm glad Jack Dorsey leaves as well. That, it, Twitter is the only evil thing in the world. Don't I sound like an old man? But I have to tell you, you dude, I'm, I'm interested in the Web3. Um, I've heard I've heard that. What's crazy is I haven't heard that at all until about three or four weeks ago. And now I've heard about it 10 times. And when you said that, I'm like, oh, my God, here it is again. Actually, the name of this podcast is Web1, Web2, Web3. And so, you know, Jeff, I just think that whenever I'm reading things like what Will Shaw has here, he said, there's a couple of good things he said. So he said, um, shout out to Will Shaw, Will Better Shaw Agency. up over at Better Agency. Yep. 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 He's, he's the man. Metro Mile is sinking independent agents to distribute insurance following Root, who re- most recently did this. Uh, this is continuing of insure tech companies shifting from solely s- selling directly to the customer to pursuing traditional agent channels. Wonder why, he says. 
Spot rate, spot rate hikes are crazy. Cyber insurance premiums have jumped literally 25% in one quarter. I mean, and I've seen that a lot with my clients as well. A hundred. Imagine being an asteroid right now, being an asteroid right now in the cyber insurance world is either the most stressful. I'm drinking five glass a week, a night, and I'm popping Adderall's in the morning. I mean, I can't imagine. <laughs> it, it'll be it's, being if, an it, if, if it continues, right which it's not going to go away. If it continues, it'll have to be government backed. It's gonna it's 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 gonna have to be follow follow terrorism. Um, with the TRIA Act, one, I, I was actually uh, brand new in insurance, and I was in D.C. lobbying and helping construct that. Like, I wasn't writing it or anything, but there was a group of like 50 of us agents that had to fly out for three times out to D.C., and we had to meet with these congressmen and sen- uh, congresswomen and senators and uh, and help understand. And what they did is, is that at the time, it was a $100 billion backstop is what they said. So the insurance companies were on the hook for the first $100 billion dollars. But, and then there had to be, it had to be a declared, declared by the president as an act of terrorism. There were these triggers, but it was a hundred mil, hundred billion dollar backstop that then the actuaries didn't have to take as many Adderalls because they were like, okay, we at least know what the end could possibly be, you know, now predicting it and where it's happening and how to, you know, that's crazy. But you're, you're for, for, that's how I see it. If it keeps going this way, I mean, my customers can't continue to keep paying this shit. I mean, they really just truly can't. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merged? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, requiring, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. You know, what I think should happen is if you are a cyber insurance company out there and you need some crypto advice, hit me up on the DM. But if I was running my cyber insurance company today, whether it's Harford Steam Boiler or whether it's Harford or whether it's Travelers and I'm building a cyber policy, I would require myself, the actuary, um, my insurance company, or I would require... I will require the actual buyer to do a 90-10, well, 80-10-10, right? You know what? No. I will go 80, no. I'll go 10, 40, 50. So if we buy 
a piece of cyber insurance policy, and let's just say that policy is five grand, right? Okay. I will force twenty five hundred dollars of that policy, which is fifty percent, go towards uh, the traditional writing of the policy, and I will put ten percent. I will force the buyer of the policy force them to buy at least ten percent in uh, escrow in Ethereum, and I'll force them to buy at least another. 40% divided between Bitcoin, Solana, and maybe another form of crypto. Because right now, you know, most of the cyber ransom is either demanded in Bitcoin or other form of crypto like Ethereum. But I would say 90 to 95% in Bitcoin. So just think about like this. If your payout is going to be in Bitcoins, then why are you not buying Bitcoin, right? Like all these cyber insurance carriers should be the number one buyers and holders of Bitcoins. Yeah. Right? Because if one day you had to pay out a million dollars in Bitcoin, let's just say that number is a million dollars, then don't you want to acquire that million dollars with somebody else's money, which is the insurance premium, today at maybe one-third or one-tenth or one-percent the cost? So down the road, your payout is not in the millions. It's really only costing you ten grand. I got you. That makes sense. But your actual rate is built for the millions. So this is how you become a profitable company for a cyber insurance carrier. So if you need me to sit on your board and help you figure out all the thinking of navigate the complexity of all these, hit me up on the DM. Right. Um, but that's how I would navigate my cyber insurance company because you know you. By the future. That's what insurance is. Insurance is paying for the future. And right now, I haven't seen a single cyber insurance company disclose that they're buying Bitcoin in the treasury or Ethereum in the treasury. So I would buy Solana in the treasury and down the road, if somebody asks me to pay them ransom in Bitcoin, I'll convert that money tomorrow because I just see the future of Solana. It's a, it's a you know third generation crypto. So quarter three VC deals summary, 150 deals were done and 4.2 billion was raised. Um, Here's the other side of it. The quarter three of VC exit summary for InsureTech, 11 exits, 2.4 billion total exit value. He said here, uh, this is continuing on with what Will Shaw, uh, Will Shaw said. Now there are a few things that be taken in here, and I'll start with what I find the most entertaining, that $4 billion raised and $2 billion sold. That's not great for investors. Now you might ask, where would the $2 billion co- sold come from, and how much was invested in that time? And maybe it was a good exit, maybe or maybe not. But we've seen each quarter more and more investment pouring into the InsureTech space. But the exit deals the quantity of deals and the quality of de- of the exit money not increase we'll see if that holds up when reevaluating the quarter 4 in a few months so that's pretty interesting his perspective there the the money coming in is coming in but the exit money is not coming out that doesn't necessarily mean bad things that just means that it's hedging itself for later it's like building it's a momentum thing that um it would be interesting. Uh, maybe we'll know we're on the on the other side of it when we have one billion coming in and six billion going out. What are your thoughts there, Jeff? I think the average exit is five to seven years, right? The fastest I've seen is probably five. The average is seven to nine. 
Um, and, you know, Series A, Series B, Series C, each round is 12 to 18 months. So, you know, most people, they unless you're a unicorn, right? Like, you don't, most people exit after four or five or six rounds of races. And rarely people exit in two rounds of race. So each round is like 12 to 18 Jeff, months. Jeff, so just, let's talk. I, I hold your thought for a minute. I want you I want you to explain something to our loyal listeners. When we hear um, A round, C, B round, D, uh, B round, C round, whatever it could be, what does that mean? For someone who's not an investor, what does that right. mean? Uh, I am not an investor, so full disclosure, I am a guy outside the of the process. But, what is the process? You know, so let's just say I have an idea. I have an idea today. I am going to make my vanilla sprinkle with chocolate. It's an amazing idea that nobody has ever done it before. I go to Jason Cass. I say, hey, Cass, you're my friend, and you're my colleague. You're my mentor. I want you to invest in my idea. We're going to put chocolate in you know, vanilla ice cream. And Jason's like, that's a great idea. I'm going to invest in you. But I know that I am investing in just idea. There's zero hard collateral underneath it. Um, you're not personally guaranteed my loan. And I am all the risk to lose. So I'm investing in seed round. Seed round is extremely popular, but at the same time, um, they come with high risk, high reward. So the people who invest in C round are just literally playing roulette at a table and betting on numbers. Okay. And then next is Series A. Series A is basically now I'm coming back now, Jason and Jeff, because you're in it together with me now. We're going to go to institution people, institution investors say, hey, family office, hey, reassurance money, hey, crypto holdings, hey, treasury money, hey, private equity. Um, we build this business and it's now showing revenues. We have real dollars in the bank, dollar in, dollar out. And we have real employees who we created. I got I got James Jenkins. I got Will Shaw. I got- um, All the boys. I got this guy named Nicholas Air. I mean, I got all these amazing talent on my team. You know, I got Kaylin Edgar joining me later. Yeah, and I don't want Nicholas you know, on our superstars team. Nicholas coming. is not on our oh. team. We're removing him. But he's entertaining. Okay, that's Nick, true. Okay, we'll put him back on. Who's funnier than Nicholas? No, Edgar? that's true. Oh, that's Facebook. true. We'll put him back on. Okay. Right. So now we go out to the crowd. We say we got real um, leadership and we have real dollar in. We have real dollar out. We can prove it to you on spreadsheet and on QuickBook and on PL and on tax returns. That's where we get invested and people now betting, but betting smart. Gotcha. By betting with data, not just the betting with idea. C round, just betting on a like PowerPoint. Uh, Jeff, how much are they usually giving up in that seed round and in that A round or uh, of ownership? Are they giving up probably a total of 10%, half of it? What does it look like there? It's it's absolutely well, well, West. is whatever you say it is because C round, Depends on how strong the founder is, right? If the founder is really strong, then I see people even bet on like 10% for ownership or anywhere between 30 to 50% of ownership. Gotcha. Remember the guy who invested in Apple? He invested $200,000 and he held like, what, 25% shares? Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good that investment. That was a goddamn good investment. Wow. <laughs> God, that's a great And then there's also another guy who didn't bet on Apple. His name was out there. So when you're in the B, so when you get into the B and C round, then it's just safer. safer. safer, Okay. Okay. But the equity shares go smaller, smaller, smaller. Makes sense. Okay. But, you know, 
some some family office as their investor or partner. So usually on LinkedIn, you see title like investors, partners, capital partners, principal partners, equity partners, and these titles. But everybody have their risk portfolio. They build a fund. And then they, let's just say they raise money and then they say, we're going to hold this money in this fund for two years or five years or 10 years, whatever that is. And for this amount of time, we give a 3 to 5% or 8% return to our, to our investor. So while we're bleeding out this money from its own fund, we have to figure out who to bet on. Whether we bet on roulettes on bet on numbers, or we bet on roulette, bet on odds even, or we bet on roulette, bet, bet on, you know, whatever that betting structure is. You know, so when you go from A to B to C to D, you usually go through each development of the company. And, you know, B, the company is more mature. They have two years, three years, four years on the book. They have assets of either renewable income, either machinery or real estate, all those things that you can now collateral against. So if the company does exit, fall apart, you can either liquidate the asset, liquidate the machinery, liquidate the no holding, or you can even instead of positioning for a IPO, now you can position for a, a private buyout, have a competitor absorb you for X amount of dollars so you can take less of a hit, right? Whoever owns amount of equity share, they get their hit back, if that yeah, makes it sense. Yeah, it does, it does, it does. And they can even renegotiate with the C round people. And then, so let's just say I'm coming at B. I'm like, man, this company needs a lot of help. It needs not just this amount of capital. It actually needs this amount of capital to fix all the issues. So I'm going to go to the people who's holding the shares from the A round and then the C round say, I can come in at B round, but you guys are bad shape and we're going to renegotiate the shares. Gotcha. So the guy who's holding that 50% share from the C round, you got to give up some shares and versus a, you know, what are they going to do if they don't, do it, money walks. Yeah. Money walks so, and comes right. crashes, so, yeah. I am not an investment banker. I am not a VC person, but you know, from outside looking in, these are the complexities. And if you're in the VC world, private equity world, family office world, comment below. Chin me on it. We love comments. We love engaging with y'all because um, you guys are smarter than us. So you know, let's talk about it. But Jeff, let's- one horrible trend I see right now in the short tech world is not horrible. But actually, I'll continue to use that word horrible. We have a lot of people graduate Harvard, graduate MIT, smart people, but they don't know the insurance world. They don't know our world. They don't know. They they keep on ch- chasing that tiny tech, shiny object. What tech do you have? What your own proprietary performance model do you have? But they don't understand to build that tech, you absolutely have to burn money. Right. There's a lot of companies decide not to burn the tech. They went out there and built a business model, let's just say, on top of Salesforce, right? Or build a business model on top of another person's tech. Because the founders know I have to make the maximum of the C round money last. So these guys who just graduate MIT or whatever, they're like, you don't have your own technology. I'm not going to invest in you because you don't have tech. Um, like I chatted with Steve Lackas from. Branch, he's the CEO of Branch, founder of Branch, co-founder of Branch. And he told me when he was raising his C round, A round, some of these VCs were telling him that he wasn't techy enough. And I thought that statement was absolutely crazy because I have a lot of respect for those guys at Branch. And I think their tech 
is industry leading, mm-hmm. right? But the people who are who are looking at their product of what they're delivering to the market are not from the That's insurance right, yeah. world. They never seen other text you're, before. You're speaking they good. don't understand. We have people who are still using like DOS ish type of tech. Like they don't understand how disruptive their tech is already to the industry and their concept of their business model, of their mutual model, how disruptive that is of what's new is the what's always a new. And they're reimagining the distribution model. So the problem is right now there's a lot of VC money that's sitting in Europe, right? Like in German, in Israel. And these investors want a piece of this action in America. But the people who are looking at their, our world right now, they don't know our world. They, and they definitely don't know mm-hmm. insurance. I'm starting seeing Kobe from Israeli InsurTech and his delegation group, his people are now really stepping up and changing things. And I am seeing more cross-engagement through InsurTech Insights. Shout out to Harry Seaman from InsurTech Insight. Guys like them bridging the two worlds together of bridging the European investors of the family office, the VC world, and bridging them to the access to the founders of the insurance founders in the U.S. So we're going to see a lot more collaborations. One thing we have seen so far is VC invested in U.S. and investing in U.S. founders. I think in 2022, we will start seeing trends of global money, Asia, German, European money start coming to our world and really compete with the dollar of the VCs and bid up, bid up that Series A, that C round investment. So, you know, it's a good time to be founders right now. Jeff, wrapping this up, dude, you got any last thing? You've really spit a lot of game today. And I mean, I'm excited, uh, you know, that InsureTech week uh, is, uh, I'm glad that we've do- dedicated our whole week to it because this is, it is, you're talking about the impact, the money coming in from other places, the the people, not only that, that, you know, put in $300,000 and now are cashing out $48 billion, that just means they have more money to put back in. Um, I can see this this thing heading in the way that it is. I love your theory of what cyber insurance carriers need to do, investing in what they're having to pay out in. That only makes sense, right? So I really do love it. Wrapping it up, dude. Uh, uh, what what you got for us? I we just we just had Thanksgiving, so you know I want to say I'm grateful for you <laughs> because March of 2020 we That's met. Right. I remember the first time we met. We didn't even talk beforehand. We just met on a podcast, yeah. right? And that was the first ever podcast I have ever been on. A lot of people don't know that. And um, before that, I've been a captive agent, captive office agent for nine years. And I was a very extrovert. I was very active on Facebook groups and stuff like that. But I have never went on a podcast where you talk about something. And now you talk about something for the whole world to download, to listen, to share. And um, do you remember how stiff oh, I God, was? Oh, God, it was terrible. I had to tell you, dude. Like, you've got to, because this is how you talk when we're off off podcast, right? That, but before, even when we first met. Like, you, this is how you talk. But we got on the podcast, I'm like, Jeff, you got to loosen up, brother. And you've come a long way in that. That was a good oh, podcast. Oh, my gosh, though, it was like, a very good podcast. Huge downloads, huge downloads. I can't remember, like, how many people... Um, because my community was my ex-insurance captive mm-hmm. community. And after that podcast, I just had 
endless of guys from, you know, mastermind groups to like, you know, independent agent group, whether from Brightway, Google SIA. I mean, they just started reaching out to me and it has done well for us as far as, you know, my company, Quahan and Quantum, but also it has done really well for me to connect with the insurance industry and people who are in the industry because it sped up my learning process. I really starting to understand the pain points of what a lot of these agents going through. Without that podcast, a lot of things would not have happened. A lot of people I might not have met. That's awesome. So, you know, I wish everyone can go back and listen to that download. So make sure you drop a link in the comment section, Jay, on that exact download because that person that day was yeah stiff. it was and yeah yeah it was and i remember you were doing so much i mean you you showed me pictures videos of the inside of your office where you thought it was really huge because like you had some screens and stuff and then now you've sent me pictures and it's like five times the size so no that was good go back and listen to that it was back in march 2020 in the was, uh, show notes that was when covid first dropped that was like 6 days after the news of lockdown happened with something i can't remember but do you remember we're like on the podcast talking about like it's COVID yeah. real <laughs> yeah i know we did yeah that's a good point that is a good point we sound yeah that's good i'm gonna have to <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that's funny hey jeff do appreciate you man i've got another one i gotta do ironically enough with caitlin agar which is somebody as uh, somebody in, uh which is a uh partner i guess i could say of jeff she's in one of his companies which is uh quantum assurance and then he also has quote hound uh you're you're big into those cues i know that you know but yeah make, make sure you guys follow caitlin agar she is uh absolutely she's dynamite dynamite yeah. um that's why she was yeah. and we're going to do a rehash on that uh uh, she was one of the first to come on to the network, um, and and other than agency intelligence and agents influence, which are both of those mine, um, she was the first one. And it was like I remember meeting her and talking with her, and I was like, man, this woman is dynamic. And I thought she needs to start a podcast. And then I thought, man, it's going to take her so long to build the audience. And I was like, wait a minute, why don't I just share my audience? And that actually is where the whole idea came from. Boom, and here we are. Uh, just yesterday hit 40,000 downloads for one month. I mean, Jeff, a little under a year, year and a half ago, if I got 10,000 downloads in a month, I was doing a backflip. Um, but it's, it's people like <laughs> yourself the the podcast changed you, but the pod, but you changed the podcast as well. And greatly appreciate that. All you loyal listeners, me, Jeff, and all the guests that we've had, over 700 of these, there's no way we could have done it without you. Every download that comes through is you. Every voice that's being spoke out there right now is you. And how we're making this the greatest industry God ever created is you. This has been Jason Cass with Agents Influence, conversations with Jason Cass. Today we had Cass, today we had she, and we blew your damn mind. We're out.